Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in this series in the book of 1 Corinthians. Today we're in chapter 11 where Paul tells us to be imitators of Christ. So what does that mean? What's the Bible's perspective on engaging with the culture? I mean, can you follow his truth and be in the world? Well, Sean will share the answer. It can be done, but it is not easy. Reachingforreallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do so today, right now even. It's a place to give at reachingforreallife.org. The message today is called Culture Clash. In the series called One, Sean starts off in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. We're in this series, and the series is called One. It's one gospel, one church, one spirit, one mission. And today's topic, we're going to talk about culture clash. Because one of the interesting things that's happened when you go through a book like this, when you walk through a book of the Bible, you've got to know, and, and really don't feel like you should take a year, because I could take a year easily on 1 Corinthians, just the different themes, if you, if you covered every theme. So I basically ch- chose to, to, to look at each chapter and choose a theme. Now, what's interesting, we're in chapter 11 today. What's interesting about chapter 11 is there are three main themes that I could choose from and I prayed about. First is women's head covering in worship. You're, you're laughing at the Bible? What's wrong with you people? Please. The second is unity in the corporate what, what, what the, in Jude is referred to as love feasts or these m- meals that they would have together, these fellowship meals, and there was division in the church that was happening over these, and the rich people were bringing a lot of stuff and keeping it to themselves, the poor were doing without, and, and Paul's like, yeah, this shouldn't be. And then, of course, a passage, the third theme is the significance of the Lord's Supper, which we read that passage pretty much every time we take the Lord's Supper together. And so, as I looked at the themes, obviously I chose, let's talk about women's head coverings and worship. Let's go! It's going to be good. See, smart pastors go in the other themes, okay? But you don't, you don't have them. You have me, okay? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we've got these themes, and I, I want to begin right at the beginning. In fact, because of this, I want to pray at the beginning. I usually pray after I read the passage. I'm going to pray before I read the passage, and maybe after as well, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence, and I thank you that you have things. Every, there, there are no accidents in your word. Your spirit inspired the word. Your spirit protected the word, and your spirit brings the, li- the word alive to us. So help us to hear you. Help us to receive your word. We thank you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, 1 Corinthians 11 begins with this simple phrase, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's verse one. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Another translation says, follow me as I follow Christ. And let me just say, that's a key discipleship verse. When you're inviting someone into faith, that is the best kind of approach. Just come with me, follow me as I follow Jesus. And that's the core of discipleship. When you talk about this whole thing, we're talking about we're following Jesus. Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, what's interesting is most commentators, most commentaries, most scholars, kind of that when they deal with that passage, that verse, verse one, they put it as the tail end of chapter 10. It's almost like they think the editors made a mistake. I don't think the editors did. I think this is a fantastic transition passage from where he was in chapter 10 to where he's going in chapter 11. First thing, follow me. 
as I follow Jesus. And then he goes on and says this, now I commend you because you remembered me in everything and you maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. You maintain the tradition. So he begins with the commendation and he's going to somewhere throughout this chapter, he's gonna bring some rebuke. But he starts with this commendation, you main, in everything you maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But then he goes, verse three, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors, uh, with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. So if the man prays or prophesies with his head covered, he dishonors his head. Every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as the woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourself. It is proper, is it proper, proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it's to her glory. It is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. That's an interesting bookend to verse 1. Be imitators of me as I imitate, imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. So this is one of those passages you go, what the heck are we going to make from that? I mean, really. I mean, you might want to ask, why is Paul even talking about this? Why, why, why is he bringing this up? I want to suggest he's, he's addressing something that for them was obviously an issue or problem. The same apostle who taught them that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but we are all one in Christ. The same prophet who said that in Galatians 3.28 is seeing an issue here that he needs to address. Now, I want to suggest that one thing we need to stop and point out. Paul is in this passage affirming the role of women praying and prophesying. He's affirming in the context of the fellowship the role of women praying, prophesying. Remember in Joel chapter 2, there was the prophetic promise that I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Peter quotes that in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. He quotes that. He says, what you're experiencing is what Joel talked about. I'll pour out my spirit. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Now, what is prophecy? That's where we get weird. We kind of think of prophecy. We think of, you know, the prophet coming down from the mountain and bringing a stern rebuke from God with his eyes blazing and, you know, screaming and spitting as he shares. And while that's really awesome... That's not necessarily, I think, what that idea means. 
We, or we sometimes we think of kind of Nostradamus and the thinking the future and, and predicting what's happening in the future. Neither of those words is exclusively what prophecy means. Now, there is the Old Testament kind of office or, or the role of the prophet. There's the New Testament role of the prophet in the context of the church. But prophecy in its purest sense is simply saying what God said to say. That's what it means. Okay, prophecy in its purest sense is saying what God said to say. And we're going to see in chapter 14 that there, I think there's something that God has for all of us in this gift of prophecy, this saying what God said to say. I mean, whether that be you, you kind of have a sense in your heart something's going on, you feel like this, this isn't pleasing the Lord, and you feel like you need to say something. Having the, the word from the Lord and the boldness to say it, you can be exercising that gift of prophecy speaking what God wants to say. And so when we talk about women praying and prophesying, Paul is affirming this, and that's important because some people go, wait a minute, I don't think there's any role for that in the New Testament, and I just don't think that's so. Well, what's this deal with the head covering? And this is, let me just tell you, studying did not help. Okay? This is one of those things where studying was not necessarily helpful because People, scholars are all over the map on what was actually going on here. I want to suggest you something that opened this passage up to me was when we went to Jerusalem and we went to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, and we had a time of prayer. Everyone was required to wear a head covering. And men, if you went there and you didn't have a hat, they would give you a yarmulke. I still have my yarmulke from Jerusalem. I was going to wear it today, but I thought it might be a distraction for you, okay? Because you go to pray there, you have to have your head covered. And this was an interesting thing because in Old Testament scripture, that head covering was significant when you came before the Lord. Men and women. So I'm, I'm sitting here going, wait a minute, why is Paul acting like that was an unusual thing when it would have been their Hebrew custom. The, the prayer shawl or the talid is what they call them was not something uncommon. And then I realized what he's saying in here. Remember what he said? He said the, the covering or the head of the man is Christ. And the covering of the woman is her husband and it's under Christ. And what I realized, oh my gosh, the, the, the reason that they covered their heads in prayer in the Old Testament was out of a sign of humility and repentance. It was a sign of repentance. It was a, this sign of coming before the Lord in humility and repenting for our sin. And that's the spirit within which it's done at the Western Wall. When you pray, there's this sense of repentance and the covering. Well, when you stop and understand, wait a minute, in Christ, he paid the penalty for our sins. He took our humiliation. He took our guilt. He is our covering. That's such a powerful understanding. And this is the part where we take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro, listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Culture Clash. It's in the series on unity called One. This is available right now on the sermon page at reachingforreallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find that Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. In fact, your gift of any amount today will get you the latest book from Pastor Sean Azar. 
302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer, but I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, Culture Clash. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. See, one of the more shocking parts of this scripture from a Hebrew mindset wasn't necessarily why is a woman praying with her head uncovered. It's why is a man praying without his head covered. And it's because of Christ. In Christ, that covering was taken care of at the cross. And yet, he's still talking about it for the women. Why is that? Well, it was a common local custom. It was a local custom throughout the Middle East for women to wear, have their head covered. And, you know, we, we think different scholars go back and forth on this. Was he talking about the veil, the, the, the head and the face covered? Or was he just talking about a, a head covering? You've been in churches. I've been in churches where they take this passage very, very literally for today, and you see women with this kind of a doily on their head because they want to be very strict in this. We obviously didn't pass out doilies today. So we really see this as, a, as kind of a, this, this unique blending of a cultural tradition and an eternal principle. The local custom for women was that they would, and it was a sign of being under the covering of her family in this very patriarchal society. Whether it be under her father or under her husband, she would have her head covered as a sign of a respectable woman. The idea of a single woman like we experience today would have been very unusual because she would have had a very hard time. All of the resources was passed down through the eldest son and through this patriarchal system. It would have been very difficult for her to survive. And so this would have been an unusual thing. When you start talking about the shaved head, the shaved head was a sign of either grieving, she's a grieving widow, or she's ashamed. There is some shame. She has sinned and there's shame. That's why he's talking about the, the, this, this custom and says, if you're going to go with your head uncovered, you might as well shave it. And you're like, well, none of this is kind of making sense here. What's the main point? I want to suggest that this passage is an intersection. It appears to be an intersection between a cultural tradition that it was normal for, for respectable women in the context of their family to wear the traditional head covering and even the veil. This is an intersection between that cultural tradition and a biblical principle which originated in creation. The cultural tradition is the wearing of the head covering or a veil as a sign that the woman is under the care and the covering of her husband or her father. It represented protection and 
submission. It represented that she was a woman who was cared for, was in her family, and had standing. And it seems that Christian liberty might have caused some to become lax in this widely accepted symbol. Wait a minute, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Why do we have to do this? And Paul's saying, because it's the custom. It's the custom. And what we don't want to do, what he didn't want to do, he wanted to make sure that they were not communicating an abandonment of an important, timeless, biblical principle. And that principle is the principle of headship. That's the real point. He's dealing with a cultural issue in the actual garments, but there's an eternal biblical principle that originated creation, and that is the principle of headship. And to understand, let's, look, let's flip over to Ephesians 5 to look at that. This is a passage we deal with more often. And you're like, wait a minute, this is all talking about in the context of marriage, that the, the word, interestingly, as you study the Greek word in 1 Corinthians 11, for wife, it could also be translated woman. But it's most likely he's talking about wives, because that's what this symbol was about. Now, in Ephesians 5, you remember Paul in 521, he tells to the church, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But then he dials down and he says this. And what I want us to do is understand the principle of headship that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 11. Ephesians 5, beginning at 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. The problem is, we look at this passage of Scripture and we begin to get culturally kind of riled up. Because what's been hammered home on the scripture is the wives submit to your husband's part. You know, we love that part. I mean, you know, whenever I read that, I'm like, honey, see? Remember that conversation we had earlier? <laughs> yeah, the Bible says. Mm. The problem is if I keep reading, I get to the other part. And the other part is even more startling. Husbands, Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband's the head of wife as Christ the head of the church. Husbands, listen, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, I love her. No, no, that's not what it says. He gave himself for her. Where did he do that? On the cross. Ooh. No, 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 no. We're not sure about that. Um, can we switch God? Because she's a good leader. She's got some good ideas. And I could support her and encourage her. Because that whole cross thing looks painful to me. And he's saying, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And in that, what we see, and this is so important, when we talk about headship, we have to understand God is teaching us something about his authority. And he is giving the husband and the wife the opportunity in the home where people are made, where people are raised to teach about authority. Husbands, he has chosen you to represent the authority of Christ and the way Christ carried out his authority. Remember what Jesus said? I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. 
That's how Jesus exercised his authority. So servant leadership, servant authority, sacrificial authority, he is calling husbands, us as husbands, to model and to teach so that our children, when they're raised, have a model of sacrificial servant leadership. An authority that is practiced and carried out in humility and sacrifice. Wives, he's called you to model submission to authority, and just like Jesus did. So you're modeling the other side of Jesus' approach to authority. When Jesus in the garden said, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, yours be done, and he modeled submission to authority. See, the whole problem we have with all this is the issue with authority. And what God did with this issue of headship is he created a system whereby we, if we do it God's way, if we raise our families in a godly way, our children grow up with this biblical picture of what, oh, that's what sacrificial love looks like. Oh, that's what humble submission looks like. I get it. And instead, we have some kids who leave home with this idea of I have no interest in authority. I do what I want. And we know the problems that that creates. So that's the core idea. Now, what I want to suggest is the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 spends most of his time focusing on their issue. That's what this head covering thing is about. They were kind of saying, we, we don't need that anymore because of Christ, so these traditions, we don't need to do those anymore. He's saying, no, no, in your context, you don't want to communicate that you are throwing off this, the principle of headship because it was a cultural norm in their culture. That was their issue. He kind of touches on our issue, but... Our issue's even bigger, and I want to focus today on our issue. And here's our issue on this idea of headship. It is offensive. That's our issue. It's politically incorrect, and it is offensive to us. Our culture has a repulsion to this whole concept. This is offensive in our cultural interactions. So what happens whenever we find something like this, and this is where I want us to focus, we stand at a crossroads. We really do. We, we are at a crossroads between what the Word of God is teaching us and what our culture is saying to us. And here's the main point. If you're taking notes, write this down. Each of us must choose whether we're going to follow the culture or we're going to follow Jesus. Let me say that again. Every single one of us must choose whether we are going to follow the culture or are we going to follow Jesus. See, I don't think Paul is saying that Christians forever, for always, have to wear, Christian women have to wear head coverings. I think he's saying in that time, it was important because it was an illustration of another principle. That principle is the timeless, eternal peace, which we cannot leave, and that's the one that's offensive. Do you know, if we said our cultural tradition is for women to wear head coverings because it's just, well, what we've always done, nobody would care. But when we teach that principle of headship, we teach that principle of authority and men loving sacrificially and women submitting out of reverence for Christ, and we we share those principles, those are culturally offensive. And each one of us must choose whether we're going to follow the culture or follow Jesus. That's the choice we have. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24 through 26? Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whomever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, that idea of taking up your cross, we say it, we even have songs, so beautiful. Yeah, what's not beautiful to them? 
okay? Wasn't talking about jewelry. Take up your cross. I got mine on, Jesus. I'm in the club, yeah. That is not at all what he's talking about. Take up your your implement of execution. Come, take up your electric chair and follow me. What? If you prefer your lethal injection, come after me. For you, I've got a gallows. And, and for the exotic among us, a guillotine. Pick, t- pick your poison. Maybe just poison. The whole point is it's a mode of execution. A cross to them was not the way we see a cross. A cross to them was, what Jesus, that sounds a little crazy. Take up our cross. That's where people are horribly, brutally executed. He says, yeah. See, you want to save your life? You got to lose it. You want to lose your life? You'll find it. See, our soul is on the line. Jesus says there's something significant. We have to be prepared. We have to be prepared to stand out. We, we walk in the biblical context instead of the cultural. People are going to look at us kind of like we look at the Amish. The day is going to come when you talk about people who walk in sexual purity. We're gonna, oh, those quaint people with their antiquated rules. People who really believe that God created things the way they are. He made them male and female and that we don't just get to kind of make it up as we go along. We're, we're going to be those, those, those out-of-touch people who, you know, do they, do they have horse and buggies? I mean, what, do, do, they, do they have electricity? I don't, I don't know. They're going to look at us like we look at the Amish sometimes and think of them as, oh, they're antiquated. They're, they're their own little kind of sect. They're doing their own little thing. That's what people who follow Jesus biblically are going to seem like more and more. If we, as we make this choice, as we're at that crossroads, and we say we are going to follow Jesus instead of following the culture. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. If you'd like to hear this full message in the series called One, it's available right now on demand at reachingforreallife.org. And we'd also love to hear from you on our contact us page, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue on the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, right next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.